Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Paul Stavros is a multi-time survivor. He was diagnosed with cancer for the first time at the age of 14. 35 years later, he was again diagnosed. Today, Paul is using his experience as a patient to help people to learn how to stay meaningfully engaged and helpful to someone with cancer. Paul, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for having me. I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I am so glad that you took the leap, as you said, before I hit record <laughs> and decided to schedule your interview. And I'm very intrigued about these two different um, ep- episodes of cancer, for lack of a better word. So take us back to the very beginning with that first diagnosis when you were a teenager. So uh, again, it was the late it was the late 1970s. I was a teenager. I was 14 years old. And my older brother and I had scraped together some money to buy an old bench press and some weights, right? We were going to work out. We were going to be huge. It was going to be great, right? And we had set up the stuff and I had worked out a couple of times in the, in the garage. And afterwards, after one of those workouts, I, was, I went up into the bathroom and I took my shirt off and I was doing muscle poses in the, in the mirror, right? Because I wanted to see my new muscles. And there was a substantial lump under my left arm. And as a teenager, I remember thinking, awesome, this is, this is great. Like I'm working out, I'm getting big. I was a little, I was a little upset that there wasn't an equally big muscle under my other arm. <laughs> did, but, you do, did you think it was your tricep? Is that what no, you thought? I, don't, I didn't know what, I thought it was my armpit. I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't know what bench press did, you know? So, so I was excited about it. And I remember I went out into the kitchen and my mom was talking on the phone and she hung up the phone and I said, mom, mom, look at, I'm working out and look at this. And she was not nearly as excited about it as I was. Her face went white. She looked terrified. She grabbed my arm. She dragged me into the basement where my dad had an office and she, show him, show him, show him. And I showed him and he also looked equally terrified. Weeks go by and they got me into the doctor and I had every test and I had the biopsies and uh, it turned out to be Hodgkin's disease. So in those days, uh, the, the 70s cancer treatment was very different than it is today. I spent about a month uh, during the 1970, the summer of 1970, in a children's hospital in Ann Arbor, and after that, I spent about six weeks going back and forth the hospital every day, getting high dose radiation. And again, in those days, they just blasted you, put you on a table, and they just blasted you, and it killed the cancer. Hooray! That's great, right? But all these years later, thirty some years later. I have all these side effects from it. So yeah, cancer as a as a teenager is not cool. The late 70s was not cool. I feel like I missed a big part of my childhood. 
And the whole experience was terrible. It was, it was terrible. You know, not only the, the physical part of it, but, you know, I was in a four bed ward in the hospital with three other kids. They weren't even all cancer kids. They were just whatever the hospital had. And there was a lot of screaming and crying and yelling and cursing and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Your parents were obviously very scared. So my first question is, seeing the look on their faces and seeing how they were both terrified, did that have an impact on you? And then I have another question about the treatment. Certainly had an impact. I, I was 14 and I was naive. So I knew what cancer was, but it didn't really mean anything to me. I remember thinking, what's the big deal? I feel fine. Like physically, I feel fine. I'm energetic. I, you know, everything's normal. And, you know, seeing their extreme reaction, it wasn't like, oh, gee, that's not good. It was like, holy smokes, right? So that scared me. It really did. I remember going to the first few doctor's appointments and trying so hard to think about something else, to tune out, to fall asleep, anything, because I didn't want to hear what they were talking about. I, I thought that if I, if I didn't know, then it was going to be okay. Because again, I wasn't, you know, cancer doesn't hurt. I wasn't in any pain. My tumor didn't hurt. And I thought, okay, we're just going to take this out. Surgery, bam, it'll be done with. And I didn't know anything about radiation. I didn't know anything about, you know, the after effects or the drugs or any of those kinds of things. And Andrea, I didn't want to know. So mm -hmm. I judged a lot of kind of what to expect by the reactions that I got from other people, most, of course, my, my parents. What was your brother's reaction? So I have a big family. I have two brothers and two sisters, and they're super supportive. Where are you in the birth order? So I'm smack in the middle. I, I actually have uh, three now. My, my father passed away and my mother got remarried. So I have two more siblings. So wow. I have three brothers and three sisters. And I'm smack in the middle of the original five and kind of sort of in the middle of the, <laughs> of the, the extended seven. You know, my family was great, but they were all young too. My brother's a year older than I am. I have a sister two years younger, an older sister, a younger brother. And they had their own lives too. I, I think one of the, the the great things about kids is that they can be really compassionate and sensitive, but they're also, they just, they're just kids. So, you know, when my parents would come and visit me in the hospital or when they hung out with me, it was, oh, you know, cancer. Oh. And my brother was like, eh, let's, let's play, you know? <laughs> right. So, is, you know, not a bad thing, right? Yeah. It's you've been sleeping all day. Let's go. So, you know, in a real way, that's, that's awesome. Right. Because when yeah. you're a cancer, when you have cancer, whether it's a kid or an adult, you, you don't want to be defined by it. You're the same person. I'm a kid. I want to play. I want to go play baseball, whatever. Right. So to, to an large extent, my, my brothers and sisters provided a, a very much needed kind of relief from the yeah. whole cancer story. I'm, I'm sure my parents cautioned them. I'm sure they were like, now, you know, be gentle and all those kinds of things. I'm, I'm sure that happened, but it was still worth it. 
when my sister was diagnosed, she was 15. I was her legal guardian, so I was there for all of it. And when her oldest and best friend came to visit her, that young woman, when she walked in, burst into tears. And my sister just was not having it. And she said, climb onto my bed. And then she said, let's see how high this can go. And they just started pumping it until both girls could touch the ceiling. It That's was awesome. Oh, it was. It was awesome to hear them giggling and laughing. And just so I, I really do. Um, I appreciate that. Paul, back to the treatment, you had chemotherapy and radiation. Is that correct? So I had radiation as a child mm -hmm. and I had chemotherapy as an adult. So you only had the radiation. Interesting. Was there any concern about how the radiation would affect your future fertility? Uh, yeah, actually, I found out later that that was a big concern. Apparently, my parents had a long conversation with several doctors about that. And they didn't tell me about it. And maybe rightfully so. At the age of 14, I wasn't really worried about it, right? But later, when I was married, we started trying to have kids. And after many years, they, we did all the tests. My wife had all the fertility tests and everything. And we found out that it wasn't her. It was me. And apparently, my parents chose radiation over some other options that were originally suggested specifically because they didn't want to impact my ability to have kids. But it did? It did. We have two kids and we had them naturally, but we went through all of the fertility things. We did the, the drugs and the shots and all of those kinds of things. Typically when there's infertility issues, they tend to focus on the woman. Right. And they did that for a long time at first. They did all the tests and everything before asking her to bring me in. And I sat down and started telling the doctor. And as soon as I mentioned cancer, he said, oh, right, 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 right. And I thought, well, no one mentioned that to me. Wow. So I asked my mom about it and she told me the story. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to have kids. How long was, were you out of school, if all? You mentioned this was during the summer. I mean, did you miss school? And did you have any sense of how your peers felt about it? No, I did not miss any school. I was diagnosed just uh, near the end of my eighth grade. Wow. So I missed like two weeks of school at the end of the year. And at the time, I thought it was great because, again, <laughs> I was I was feeling good. And I got out of all my like final tests and all that kind right. of stuff. I spent uh, about a month in the hospital and then again, about six weeks getting the radiation treatment. So come fall, my parents, in their wisdom... I say that lightly, Andrea, decided that it would be best for me to kind of get back into life and go to school. So ninth grade. It was a mixed experience. Um, what do you mean? There were certainly kids who were very kind. But picture, uh, you know, a 14-year-old. I had lost about 30 pounds. And I've, I've always been thin. So I was skin and bones. My skin was black. It was burnt from the radiation. Oh, gosh. So I had to apply lotion three times a day just to keep it from flaking off. I'd lost the hair in the back of my head, not the front, because <laughs> the whole thing would have been better, but just right. the back. And the, the, 
the radiation killed all the muscles in my neck and shoulders and chest. And, you know, to this day, I have issues with that. But some kids were great. And some kids are mean. They're just mean. And a 14-year-old weirdo with black skin is a perfect target for the mean kids. And ninth grade was not, it was not a good year. You know, nicknames and the teasing and the first day of gym class. I I had gym class because everybody in ninth grade has gym class. And first day of gym class, the teacher says, okay, every, the first thing we're going to do at every class is we're going to run around the playground one time. And I remember thinking, there's no way I'm going to make it on that playground. Yeah. And all the kids, yay. And they ran and they took off and they're running and I'm like fast walking. And by the time they were done, I was about halfway around and I was dying physically and emotionally because they're all standing in the doorway looking at me and I'm trying to, you know, trying to make it around this gym. And I'm thinking, I just want to die. I just want to run off. I want to take a jump into the street, something. Right. And did that teacher not have any idea? I mean, I'm going to put that all on the teacher. I mean, really? I, I curse I curse him. <laughs> you know, uh, my parents met with all my teachers ahead of time. That's Everybody knew the situation. Yeah. Everybody knew the, he had decided that exercise was what I needed. And the, the whole class waited there until I got around. Now that's terrible. The next day when I started running, two kids ran with me the whole way and they cheered me on, right? You can do it. You can do it. And by the end of the week, like uh, half a dozen kids, maybe a dozen, I don't know. In my mind, it was like Rocky or something like that. (laughs) By the end of the week, there was a whole group of kids that were running with me around the, around the playground. So, you know, in a, in a sense, kids are terrible. And in a sense, they have this kind of naive compassion, which is really cool. Oh, what a beautiful story. Yeah. Good out of bad, right? Yeah. 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 I still don't like the teacher, but. Me neither. (laughs) I don't know what his name is, but I've been wanting to look him up for years. Oh, God. Oh, you totally, you totally should. Um, Okay. So you get through that. You finish school. You go on about your life. Tell us how you got to the second cancer diagnosis and also just about your health between that first cancer experience up to the the next one. I know a lot of people have had the kind of treatment you had at that age at that time. And the chronic permanent side effects can be a little bit debilitating depending on what they are. So tell us a little bit about that. Fill in that blank for us. Yeah, sure. So you're right. So high doses of radiation every day for six weeks is it, you know, it serves its purpose. It killed the cancer. And my parents probably were aware that there were going to be a lot of side effects. Again, I tried not to know, thinking that if I didn't know, they wouldn't happen. But you're right. I have significant and chronic issues that I deal with. I have a lot of neck and pain. It killed, it killed all the muscles in my upper body and formed a thick scar tissue around them. So, 
you know, in my shoulders and neck, it's, it's, it, it's, it's very oftentimes bone rubbing on bone, which is painful. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of neck and shoulders and chest and back. It affected my lungs. Uh, I have a difficult time with endurance things, any kind of working out or those kinds of things. Years later, I've had heart issues. I've had to have heart uh, replacement, uh, valve replacement surgery. Wow. You know, difficult having children. So a lot of uh, a lot of chronic things that I wasn't aware were going to happen. Oh. Despite all that, uh, I spent a lot of years trying to pretend like it never happened. I was uh, embarrassed. I was. Uh, you know, I didn't want to talk about it. I actively lied about it. I I wanted to pretend like it never happened. I Why? just I didn't Why? want to be I didn't want to be that kid, the sick kid, the kid that people took pity on, the cancer kid. Mm. I just wanted to be a regular kid. I just wanted to be Paul. And so it was a big part of my life that I tried to pretend never happened. There's a wonderful book, one of my favorite memoirs about cancer of all time by Lucy Greeley, who, who is now deceased, but she was diagnosed with a type of sarcoma when she was very young and ended up, I don't know if you know her story, but I mean, she lost a huge chunk of her face mm. and then spent the rest of her life trying to repair it. And she couldn't even eat. And her parents never used the word cancer. They never even used the word and she didn't know it was actually cancer till years later and she was going through some old records and her sister said, yeah, that was the time when you had cancer and no one had used that word at all. And she had surgery first and then I think it was lots of radiation as well. And so she was never able through many, many, many surgeries, she looked quote unquote fairly normal, but she still actually wasn't able to eat solid food. She could not keep teeth in her mouth. It just, it was, it's beautifully written too. She's just an amazing writer, but um, it's called a autobiography of a face. Oh my. All right. I'll look it up. Yeah. I think you'll like it. So take us up to the present time, the second diagnosis and what led up to that? What symptoms did you have? So it was 32 years later. And keep in mind that I, again, had spent a lot of time trying to pretend like that first incident never happened. I was married. I had two kids. My kids were nine and 11, something like that. And we had planned a two-week vacation to the Grand Canyon, which was a big deal because I had never taken off a full two weeks of work before. We were really super excited about it. But building up to it, I had been having stomach aches for a couple of weeks. And I've gone, you know, I was at the doctor numerous times and he kept saying, don't worry about it. It's stress. It's gas. Take Tums. All of that kind of stuff. And, and in fairness, it was a very stressful part of my life. Job was very stressful. And so I thought, well, okay, maybe. And I kept trying the, the different medications and nothing was working. So I had finally persuaded him to let me have an ultrasound. So I went in for the ultrasound and two days before we were set to leave on this vacation, 
I was sitting at my desk at work and he phone rings and it's, he says, hi, this is Dr. So-and-so. I don't have good news for you. And I remember thinking that that's a terrible, that's a terrible <laughs> way to start a conversation. That's awful. And he said, you can tell by the fact that the doctor's calling you because doctors only call when it's bad. And I thought, oh, okay, fine. What is it? And he said, we found a bunch of, uh, we found a bunch of abnormal growths in your abdomen. So I left work. I went home, sat down with my wife, talked about it. We made up a little white lie to our kids as to why we weren't going to the Grand Canyon. And I, I went and started. I did the biopsies and the tests and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, stage four lymphoma. So the same cancer. Yes. Ah. Oh. Yeah, so the the journey started uh, all over again, and, uh, and when thankfully, was this? so this was uh, this was ten years ago. I just I just celebrated my ten years post last chemo treatment was December. Oh, my that's last December, awesome! So it was my ten year post post chemo treatment, and you know the the difference this time is, of course, I I have a wife and kids and everything, and my wife is a superhero caregiver, like she's amazing. She was on the phone, calling hospitals, researching hospitals, calling doctors. The, the first time she called, they said, sure, we can get him in eight weeks. I live 20 miles from a major medical center and she was not having eight weeks at all. So she started calling people and she, she called a friend who called a friend who called a friend yeah. who happened to be the chief operating officer of a different major medical center. And she's like, I need an appointment now. Three days later, we were in seeing the top oncologist at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. Oh, that's amazing. She's awesome. Yeah. Everybody needs a Jackie. She's amazing. Everyone needs a Jackie. Everybody needs it. a Jackie. Every cancer person needs a Jackie. Is this your wife or the yeah. doctor? Wife. Your wife. Oh, yeah. gosh. What a, what a beautiful tribute to her. So this time around at stage four, what was the treatment? Was there any discussion of clinical trials? Can you walk us through that? We did the chemotherapy. It was a eight session chemo treatment. So uh, about eight hours it took, get the, get the chemo. Then they wait three weeks, chemo, three weeks, chemo, three weeks. Uh, and that originally she said eight, but then I was having a really good response to it. So she said, well, maybe we can do six, but it ended up, it ended up being eight treatments. The, the treatments themselves were again, eight hours long. So I would go in in the morning, my wife would come in, get me situated, drop me off, leave, go to work. She worked full time through this whole thing. And then she would come back around the, the end of the, the treatments, pick me up, take me home. The first week was terrible. The second week after treatment was better. And by the third week, I was feeling pretty normal. Just in, really? time to, just in time to go back for the next one. So, yeah, it was interesting because by the third week, you know, there's that neutropenic stage after, after chemo treatment. Yeah. So that's seven day seven to day 10. So the first week was awful. The second week was okay. It was not okay. It was, oh, it was better. How about that? like maybe a B minus. 
And then the third week I was feeling pretty, pretty good. I was eating. So I would not eat anything for two weeks. And then I would try to like stuff as much food in my stomach as I could (laughs) in the third week. So I wouldn't lose all the weight and everything. But so is this over about six months? About six months. Yeah. Yeah. Do my math right. And what was next after that? That was it. So I had, uh, I had some surgeries in, in the beginning. Uh, those were rough. The scar tissue that the radiation caused as a kid, uh, the doctor who did the surgery described it as he said, your insides are the equivalent of like wet leather. Like if you took leather and stripped it into strips and then soaked it in water, he said, it's, it's like that kind of consistency. So they That's have to, a good description. Like right? I can picture it. I can see it. I can feel yeah. it. Wow. And it's, you know, it's strong and it's tough and he, they're trying to cut through that and move it aside. And so he said that was, was very difficult. His suggestion was to never have surgery again, which I'm going with that suggestion. So I'm going to try to make that happen. So surgery a little bit, spent a couple of weeks in the hospital and then did the whole, did the whole chemo thing outpatient. And that was it, Andrea, after my, my last chemo treatment, you do all the normal follow-up and the CAT scans and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, 10 years. Wow. Yeah. How much do your kids remember from that time? Because they're adults now. So how much do they remember? Uh, My daughter remembers more. So my daughter's the older one. She remembers more. She's also much more kind of in tune with what's going on. She's very emotional and she's very kind of observant of what's happening. She's very mature, I guess would be the word. So she remembers, it was very hard for her too. She, she had a lot of stress. Somehow she had found out that the doctor had given me a 50-50 chance and she had decided that that's not good. <laughs> that's not a good, that's not a good odds. Yeah. I will say, and my son doesn't remember it as much. Uh, he was again younger, and he's he's a he's a boy, you know. Give him give him some Legos, and he was fine, right? <laughs> they got shuffled around to different family members during that time. But years later, I mean, she she wrote her college essay about my cancer. She uh, did, yeah, she did, and oh. she, you know, it's a. I think it's a part of it's a part of her memories, and be it good or bad. It, She remembers quite a bit. Tell us what is one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of each cancer journey. So the one as a teenager and the one as an adult. They're very different. I wish when I was a teenager that I would have known or internalized the fact that it wasn't my fault, that it's nothing to be embarrassed about, that I shouldn't. I shouldn't be embarrassed about it. And in hindsight, I don't know why. I don't know why I was embarrassed. I was afraid of kids would tease me. I was afraid that I would be seen as different. And, you know, it was very, very emotional. I, I just remember thinking, my life sucks for, for months. And I wish I would have, I wish somebody would have taken me aside and said, that's stupid. It's stupid. Was there any mental health supportive services at all during no. that time? Oh. No. And that's another big difference is, you know, I was, I was in the hospital to receive medical care. 
right. the nurses were very nice. The doctors were very nice, but there, you know, we had limited visitation hours. So my parents were there during visitation hours, but many hours of the day, I was by myself with three other kids in the room. And I just sat there and your thoughts just spiral downwards and you just start thinking all the wrong thoughts. Yeah. And they didn't, yeah. they didn't give as much thought to the, the mental or the emotional well-being because there weren't even things to do. Sure. You just sit there and I would read magazines or do coloring books or something. So it was hard. But to answer the second part of it, as an adult, I wish I would have known that cancer brings an opportunity. And this is going to sound stupid. So let me explain that. <laughs> I'm sure it's not going to sound stupid. Yeah. I was uh, just after my third chemo treatment, I was lying on the bed in my great room and I was, oh, this is terrible. This is, you know, this is awful. My life stinks. And my mom would oftentimes come and, and sit with me when my wife couldn't. So my mom was there and she's sitting on the, the other couch reading or whatever she was doing. And all of a sudden she says, you know, you really have a great opportunity here. And I thought, you know, my mom's very wise, but I thought, oop, that's it. She's lost it, you know, because <laughs> this is not, this is not a great opportunity. This is, this is bad. And she said, what's the most important thing in the world to you? And I said, well, my family, you know, my wife, my kids, my brothers and sisters, you. And she says, Let me, let's just think about that for a second. She says, when your kids were born, you taught them to walk. You taught them to talk. You taught them how to play with other people. You taught them right from wrong. You taught them how to be teenagers and how to relate to people. No matter how hard you try, they're going to face adversity someday. Absolutely. And whether you know it or not, right now, they're learning how to deal with adversity by watching you. Oh. And you really have a chance to show them how to deal with pain and suffering with grace and dignity. That and is so beautiful. It's beautiful. It was, it changed my whole viewpoint on this. Like, gut punch, right? Like reality check. Stop whining, you baby. Yeah. Right? People are watching. I hope I did a better job since then. I hope I I have them. a feeling she would have told you if you hadn't. So <laughs> just from what you said about her. I would have. Uh, interestingly enough, I lost both my parents to cancer. So You're cancer, I lost oh both my, my parents God. and my father-in-law. Yeah. To what types of cancer? Uh, my dad had bone cancer. My mom, I, I can't repeat it, but it started in her jaw. Mm. Um, something, 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 mandible cancer. And my father-in-law had lung cancer. Oh. Yeah. It's, I just, I just want to hug you. I, I've had six family members die. Oh. Five different kinds of cancer, every side of the family. You get it, yeah. right? It's very, it's just, it's a big part of my life. What was your worst moment and I'm going to let you choose which cancer journey but just overall worst moment the worst time was when I really started seeing the impact that my cancer had on the people that I love the most 
it was most again another story most closely illustrated i i this this is burned into my head i was sitting on that same couch in my in my living room and i was thirsty so i i called my wife i was like hey jackie i need a glass of water and she didn't come and i called a few more times and she didn't come and i i was getting annoyed i was like i need water she needs to bring me a glass of water like, what, <laughs> what the heck i'm sick so I got up with the intention of finding her and reminding her that I was the patient and that I needed a caregiver. And I looked all in, you know, she was in the bedroom. I checked the garage to see if her car was there. She hadn't left. So I went upstairs and I walked into my daughter's room and she wasn't there, but I heard crying. So I'm going to say this without getting emotional. So I opened the closet door. And my wife is curled up on the floor, just sobbing. So I sat down next to her and I put my arm around her. And, uh, you know, after a few minutes, she, she got it together and she started apologizing. She said, you know, I didn't want you to see me like this. I want to be strong for you. I want to be there for you. But sometimes I just can't. I feel like I can, I can handle cancer. I'm good at it. I can, I can deal with the pain. I have a very high pain tolerance. I can deal with the chemo. I would rather put up with it than have anybody else have it. But seeing the impact that it had on the people who I love the most, that's hard for me. Yeah, of course. And yeah. every patient I know, and by patient I include survivors, says that at some point, like you, they realize that it's almost harder on the caregivers because we can't fix it. And the patient has to be focused entirely on getting well on, yeah. on their health. Right. But the caregiver has all of these multiple things going on at the same time. And although I think it's gotten better now, there still isn't a lot of support yeah. for caregivers yeah. or parents. There, it, there really isn't. And she's a superhero. I mean, she worked full time. She's a professor at a local wow. university. She's got two kids. She came to every doctor appointment. She came to every chemo appointment. She managed the household. She, you know, it's, it's a lot. And, and Andrea, I'm fortunate. I do have a very big family. M many of them live around me and they were awesome. Many of my family members are healthcare workers too. I have a sister who's a nurse. I have two nieces who are nurses. I have a therapist. My brother's a physical therapist. I have a lot of health people and they were great, but uh, the primary caregiver, that's a tough job. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that because I think some people who don't have any experience in this, in this space, they expect the worst moment to be when you heard you had cancer. And for some people it is, but for most people it's not. It's something else, something very specific, like that story that you just told. Which I guess was... in the back of my head, I always thought I would get cancer again. Um, that's another thing that's changed. I, I I don't know. I don't know if it's technically it's PTSD or not, but I spent 30 years hoping I didn't get cancer. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of just wonder when the next one will be. Since since the since the second one. I've had skin cancer 28 more times, 28 times. So the radiation that I had caused a lot of damage to my skin. And I have skin cancer. Like, like melanoma? Have, yeah. 
basal cell. Yeah. Basal, basal cell. cell. Yeah. So not a big deal. You know, my, my cancer count is officially 30, but 28 of those are, you know, cut. So you're fine. Go and be happy. But it's, you know, it, for me, I, I feel like this is my life now. What was your best moment? I think best and worst are two sides to the same coin. So my answer would be similar. Uh, again, yay when I finished chemo and yay, you know, when I when I heard the word remission, all good moments, lots of good moments. But I, I think, again, for me, it's the people. People are amazing. People are awesome. We had a woman who we don't even really know. She's the friend of a friend of a kid who's friends with my son. And she called up and she asked if she could bring us dinner. And we were like, sure. You know, I'm the cook in the in the house. So I wasn't cooking. So sure, that'd be great. And she brought a meal and a dessert and a salad and drinks and silverware and plates and everything. And then she brought a meal every single week for six months. Oh my gosh. Every single week. And we don't even know. I mean, we know her, but we're not friends with her. And there's so many stories like that where people just, people are awesome. They're just good. And they make it, they make it okay. People that came and sat with me for hours while I slept just in case I needed anything. Oh my goodness. Or people, you know, cousins who I haven't talked to in years who jump on a plane. I have a brother that lives in Australia and I was talking to him on the phone one day and I told him that I miss him and that I'm sorry I don't get to see him more. Three days later, he's knocking at my door. Oh, how sweet. I think. How and that's a long that? plane ride. It's a I've long it. ride. It's really long. <laughs> it probably took them three days to get here. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. And then you're jet lagged for about four more days. <laughs> I just, I just, he said, I, I, you know, on the call that we had, I felt like you needed me. So I came. Oh. That's my best. My best moments are all about the, the people. Not everyone can say that. Just want you to know. So I'm super not every, lucky. Not everyone yeah. can say that. I am super lucky. So, Paul, I love to ask this question. I have no idea what your answer is going to be. Okay. If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? Yeah. I've spent my entire adult life working in healthcare. So, specifically, I've worked in the senior living industry, sales and marketing for senior living. So, independent living, assisted living, nursing homes, home care. So, 30, 32 years in, in healthcare. If I could change one thing, I feel like the the medical part is good. Like we we do a great job. We can cure all kinds of stuff nowadays. The part that doesn't work really well is that it still requires, I don't know how to say this, it requires the patient to drive the process. Uh, let, let me explain. You know, I, in working in healthcare, I see people who have strong advocates getting the the care, the treatments, the procedures they need. But I see a lot of people who don't have that advocacy or the skills. 
or the knowledge or whatever to push for that. And they get missed. You know, they go to the doctor and the doctor says, take this pill. And they, they take the pill, but then they don't know, like, should I see a specialist or should I, you know, they're just, they're just doing what they're told and they're not, I don't know. I, they, they, they're, they're falling through the cracks. Andrew. Oh yeah. I, I would say from my experience, 95% of people are not natural advocates. Yeah. It's just not part of who they are, but it is something you can learn. And what you described is the entire genesis for cancer you because I have a nonprofit and liver cancer that I've had for almost 20 years now. And that was the problem that I was identifying yes. is that even with the best educational materials, people still didn't know what to do next. Yes. And you do, you, you are the driver. It's your car and you have to make it yeah. run. Yeah. You, you need that advocate. I, you know, again, I am grateful for my wife because she's a bulldog. I'm kind of a non-confrontational, you know, when you call and they say, we can see you in eight weeks. I'm like, okay, well, if that's the best you can do. <laughs> and, you know, you need somebody like her who's like, no, that is not good enough. Like yeah. you need to do better. Yeah. I found out later with my sister's care that no one liked me, respected me, but no one liked me and everyone loved her. And for yeah. me, that was just fine. Right. That was totally fine. I don't need to be liked. I'm focused on getting her well. That's the goal. It means you did your job as a caregiver and as an advocate well. Good for you. Thank you. Thank You're you. not in it to make friends. You're in it to get her better. Yeah. Yeah, good for yeah. you. All right, Paul, are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? I'm going to try. Get, okay. Go ahead. Hit me with it. All right. Beach, desert, or mountains? Okay, this is an easy one for me because I'm terrified of the sun. So beach and desert would not work for me because I'm terrified of skin cancer. So it's got to be mountain. So. Rightfully. Yeah. <laughs> got to be mountain. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Ooh, that one's not an easy one. Can I, can I choose talk radio? Uh, sure. I, I don't really listen to music. I, I'm not really a music person. I listen to audiobooks. And I listen to talk radio. So I'm going to go with NPR. Okay. What is one word that best describes you? Happy. I'm happy. I love my life. Uh, yeah, I'm happy. I'm not sure anyone has said that before. You know, it's weird, Andrea, because if I, if I had a magic wand and I could make the cancer go away, I would do it in a second, right? Expelliarmus, boom, cancer's gone, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I also know that it it's made me who I am. And I like that. I mean, I've never done anything amazing, but I have a great family and I have a nice house and I have a good job and I do things I want to do, and I'm happy. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Which we now know might not be a song, but <laughs> we can say what audiobook. It's up to you. Something, I, something, uh, something peppy, something happy, and maybe something really, really long. Like if it's the last thing I'm going to hear, then let's. Uh, 
my daughter told me the other day that Taylor Swift has a song that's like 25 minutes long. I'll take that one just to push <laughs> off the, just to push, I get an extra 25 minutes. That's perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. What's the last meal you want to eat? Something with gluten. Oh, me uh, too. <laughs> me too. I Pasta, pizza. Yes. <laughs> Yes, all the stuff that I am denied right now, including ice cream. Yeah, something yes. with gluten in it. Like just the more the better, you know. I. <laughs> yes. Oh, totally great. Uh, the last person or people you want to see? Uh, my wife. Uh, she's been with me through this whole journey. And I have no doubt that when it comes to my last minutes, I, I won't have to look very far to find her. I'm confident she's going to be lying in the bed next to me before you die what are the last words you will speak uh last words wow i i feel like the two obvious ones are i love you because my wife is standing there but i feel like thank you makes sense to me although kind of woefully inadequate i mean what do you say to somebody who put up with you for however many years and took care of you and was there for you. Thank you is what you say when someone passes the salt. <laughs> it's not what you say for 50 years of, of marriage or whatever. So maybe I'd say thank you times infinity. Oh, I, I love that. How long have you been married now? This year, this September, it will be 34 years. Wow. And Paul, aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I also want you to tell people how they can get in touch with you. Cancer U is the best, right? So there's the number one. <laughs> but we're, uh, we're fortunate. Uh, us, us cancer survivors and, and cancer people and caregivers are a little more fortunate now than uh, in the past because there's, a, there's so much. Um, I participate in a number of Facebook cancer survivor cancer groups and there's thousands of people in them and it's what a wonderful resource so facebook groups is one the other one that i used when i went through this is a website called caring bridge uh, it's a blog i found it incredibly cathartic and i found myself typing things and putting things on there that i never would have said out loud so being able to have a forum, a forum where you can share is good. How can people get in touch with you? Because we're going to put all these links. So. Yeah. So uh, I, I'll, I'm going to give my email address. Uh, and I would love it if people would get in touch with me. My email address is my initials. So it's P-A-S and then the number is 182 at gmail.com. P-A-S 182 at gmail.com. All right. We will put that in the workshop and the show notes. Paul, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing two different cancer journeys, but also just really sharing that story about your wife, Jackie. That was a beautiful story. Andrea, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, 
go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.